You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I'd like to call in the spirits to join us here today. So I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives. Those who carry the legacy of lives lived well, challenges met, lessons learned, and all the rich legacy of the people who have gone before us, who have made mistakes and learned from those mistakes and have that wisdom, that passion, that clarity about life to offer us. And so I call out to all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives from the ancestral realm to join us. Those who are listening live here today and those who will listen at any time to this podcast in the future, I call out to those ancestors, all of them, to be with us. And let that family of humanity gather around us here today to hold us well, that we might continue in our exploration of how to live here in the world in a good way. And so from the center of our bodies, let's reach down through our bodies into the earth, into that great and most essential ancestor, the earth. Without her, we would be without a home. So we give thanks to the earth, the being. Thanks to this energy for the wisdom of her dreaming and the creativity of her dreaming, the inspiration in her dreaming that brought life as we enjoy it to this planet. We give thanks for the beauty that is around us, for the miracle of this day and the amazing possibility and potential that exists in a human life. And so we give thanks for that and take a moment to take pause here for a moment to give thanks to the earth for the wonder and to commit ourselves in this day to bring that miracle of life forward in some way. So we give thanks to the earth and great gratitude from our hearts. We give thanks for place, for home, for connection, for groundedness and for belonging, for a sense of interconnectedness and union and reunion with all living things, all the non-human living things. We give thanks for this great web of life that is the, the great genius of the dreaming that is life here on this planet. We give thanks for being one with all of that. So with our, our bodies grounded deeply into the earth and our gratitude grounded into the earth, we reach up through our hearts and minds, out through the sky the atmosphere and all the way up into the cosmos, all the way to the very highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, we call it down, bringing in divine inspiration into our lives, bringing in protection and generosity and blessing and connecting us to the benevolence of the universe and all the wisdom of the cosmos. We draw this energy into ourselves, into our circle and into our day that we might be held well. And within us, we allow the energy of the sky and the earth to meet in that great dance of life, the yin and the yang, coming together within us, moving, dancing, spinning, swirling, and finding the exact balance that is perfect for us here today to bring each one of us into balance. And from that place of heaven and earth within us, we call out to the energy of the heart. 
And we ask the heart to be here in its most unique and powerful capacity as the crucible that can hold the fiery passions of our lower chakras and the cold, clarity, crystalline truths of the upper chakras and bring those energies together in the heart in a way that we lose nothing that is essential and give birth to a third thing that is the knowing of our soul's true unique genius, what our purpose is here in this life. And we call on the power of the heart to give us the courage to do something with that knowledge, to bring our gifts into the world and to do it now while we can still enjoy the fruits of those labors, that we can inspire others to do the same and that we can be assured that that which those who are coming needs is here for them, already fruitful and abundant. So give thanks to these energies for gathering around us here today. What needs, may what needs to be said be said, what needs to be heard be heard, and may all that proceeds here today be good for all living things. So I want to give thanks today for those of you that keep the show on the air, which is those of you who are bothering to listen, those of you who are taking these teachings into your lives, who are asking questions and sending um, ideas for shows and keeping the interaction around the show vital and uh, meaningful. And I give thanks to those of you who have donated to the show, in particular Chris and Ramona, Indrek and Walter and all of the listeners who have donated financially to the show since last week. If this show has been meaningful to you in any way, know that you are now able to donate to express that exchange of energy. I ask you to do something. If we have inspired you in the heart, just do something that helps the show to grow in some way. Even if what you do is bring the ideas to your dinner table tonight and share it with your loved ones. Whatever it is that you do, please do something. And in that way, we will begin to live shamanically, which at its very, very most simple root is to simply allow yourself to be moved in the heart and to allow your heart to move you into discernible, um, clear, productive action or expressive or celebratory, but into an action in life that allows you to begin to manifest a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life that matters to you. So I give thanks to all of you and all of the many ways that you are doing this. We give thanks to our producers, Co-Creator Network. And thanks to those people that are helping my website stay available so that you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click on the support button and donate any amount that you choose to. All of it does go directly to keeping the show on the air and free to those who need it to be so. So today we are continuing uh, with last week's show, which was talking about creating sacred space anywhere, anytime with altars and shrines. And I got so caught up in altars and trying to describe what I mean by a working altar that I didn't really have any time to talk about shrines and how altars and shrines can then become part of building um, actual functional, functional community. So today we're going to continue on with a little bit more of a focus on shrines and community. But I do want to remind you that we are live and um, in person here this week. You can Skype us from the cocreatornetwork.com site if you want to call in. If you have a question about the show, you can call at 512-772-1938. Or you may email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org l-a-s-t-m-a-s-k-c-e-n-t-e-r.org and we also have the upcoming classes for the winter and the spring are up on the website so if you'd like to join us go ahead and check it out there at lastmaskcenter.org all right so moving on today we are talking about we were talking last week about altars 
and shrines, uh, but mostly just altars. So let me just review a little bit. So from, from my perspective, that the fundamental purpose of your altar is that it is a working altar, that I don't really um, think that an altar that isn't really anything more than a flat surface with pretty things on it that are, or even beautiful things that you've collected from around the world and place there is anything more than a shelf. If you do not organize the things there in a way that speaks to your sense of how the world works and use that altar then through your practices as a way to open up that doorway between the physical and the invisible world and to begin to forge that connection in a two-way working relationship. And um, I have seen many, many altars um, in people's homes and they're while they are profoundly beautiful and beauty does have a tendency to call spirit to it just because it's beautiful. What I don't sense is that depth and breadth of a working altar. And um, for example, as I've traveled in different places in the world and gone into old churches or monasteries, you can go into these small sanctuary parts of these structures. I know there's lots of technical terms, but then that depends on which religion you're talking about, and I don't want to go there right now. But anyway, these little sacred places, the sanctuaries where people go personally to pray, to work their faith, not just the sitting and the listening, but the place where you go to ask for help to speak of what you need and to speak to the spirits that are part of your cosmology and ask for help. And that those places are often messy, but deeply um, thick with energy because the people are working their relationship with spirit there. They're lighting candles. The candles are dripping all over the place. In Africa, there's ash everywhere because ash is offered. There, There may be the remnants of libations being poured and the different scents of incenses and sacred oils and all of this stuff. And that these, these places are thick energetically with the work, the, 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 the love, but the work going on between the human and the spirit world, wanting to co-create their life, wanting to bring health to a loved one or to manifest, um, some part of life that is not yet taking shape or to ask for help in some way that this is this is the point and beauty beauty is of value in and of itself granted but if we're talking about shamanism and we are since we're on why shamanism now we are talking about function and practicality and the ability to actually move our energy in the world in a way ideally that is good for all living things and that brings our soul's purpose into full manifestation and what i understand from the different shamanic peoples that i have learned from is that they have absolutely no expectation that they would be able to go through their life without engaging daily with spirit and have any idea why they're here and what they're going to do like there's there's an in an, an assumption in these in these lives of these shamanic people that spirit is here with them and the only way they're going to do what they came here to do is if they are they are doing their part of the relationship engaging with spirit by whatever means that's defined through their culture and creating this working two-way 
kind of relationship. It's not just one of saying nice things and hoping there's a good outcome, but it's a relationship that's strong and you can go in and complain about things and say, why didn't you show up for me in court? We lost horribly. This is what we need. How are you, you know, that's a working relationship, a working relationship where the, the, the relationship between the energies is so strong that we can struggle and find our way to create something new that didn't yet exist before. And this, this is what I believe is really at the core of bothering to create an altar or a shrine or altars and shrines in your life. So, so, then we, so what we talked about last week was creating a personal altar, um, which would be a place that you would anchor your sense of your relationship with spirit. And I mean that very literally. If you have no sense of your relationship with spirit, if, if you're just one of those new listeners that stumbled on this, like the idea and have been listening, but you don't have any of this yet in your life, you don't have necessarily a relationship with spirit, then start very simply with just really pure energies like the elements or the direction, something that doesn't have any cultural baggage around it necessarily. And just begin you know, just, just, just meditate, say, for seven days and ask for the image that most truly to you conveys spirit. And for many people, that would be something very simple like the flame of a candle. Maybe there's a picture. There's some amazing art out there right now. Um, you know, visionary art. There's stuff all over the internet. Pick an image and let that be central and then begin your altar with that central image if all you want from your altar initially is just to begin to open up a relationship with spirit then start there and then as you go through the day have a question that you're asking of spirit and look for what might be messages and then along the way in the day notice what you notice and if you can pick it up Ask it if it wants to come with you, and if it's a message for you, it will. And pick it up. So for me, I began to do this in Manhattan. And this is, of course, much more green and lovely if your, if your walk of that day is out in nature. But mine wasn't. Mine was on the street. And I still found feathers. I still found a beautiful leaf of amazing colors falling in the fall or a blossom that had been blown off a tree or a fabric of some shirt someone had thrown out that was incredible colors. It caught the light in a particular way. And I would take these things and put them on the altar and begin to develop. Why did this catch my attention? What is the message you're trying to give me, Spirit, through this feather, through this flower, through this leaf, or through the color of this fabric? That it doesn't have to look pretty. It just needs to begin to be the means by which we start to have this dialogue. And once the dialogue begins, then we want to be, as our, as our sense of it gets bigger, then we want to begin to give it some shape. And that's one of the main things that we talked about last week is a, as a way to organize your sense of this invisible world. Okay, so your altar is a place where you anchor your relationship with spirit. It's a way that you begin then to call in the world that you believe in. 
and to take that world with you then in your in your visualization in your mind in your sense of things as you engage the day and then that allows you to co-create your day with spirit with that invisible world that you've called in with you so your altar the willingness to create an altar and tend your altar to work with your altar is your commitment to forging an actual healthy spiritual uh, spiritually mature relationship with spirit and so what does that really mean an actual healthy mature working relationship with spirit well i suppose it could be described in many ways but i took quite a bit of time last week really talking about the functional dynamics of that relationship and so the first piece is being being able through repetition to sense that there actually is energy in the invisible world that is translating through your altar practice from that vast invisible world into your energy body and through your energy body into your physical body and that there's an ability for that energy to translate deeply into your actual physical felt experience. And then that connection and the fact that you are not alone infuses in your physical body into your emotional body in the sense of your mood, your state, your awareness, and into your mind into, in the sense of your beliefs. And then that, that begins to shape then your internal state of being. And from that place, then you're able to extend out your heartfelt gratitude to the invisible world. And then that completes a circle of energy that is moving from your, from you out into the invisible world through your altar practice, then back into your body through the ceremonial dynamic of your altar practice, meaning the fact that you're repeating the same practices day after day after day into your body infusing your being and then allowing you to extend true heartfelt gratitude in the moment out into the invisible world. And so that circle becomes complete. So I talked, not very well, I don't think, but I did begin to talk about why we as humans need a cosmology to shape this relationship. Since the invisible world itself is limitless, it is boundless, it's without any actual shape or time or the dimensions as we understand things, we need to give it a cosmology so that we can have a sense of traveling through it um, effectively, directly, moving in this world, moving in relationship with this world because we don't, um, we're, we're not able to engage our strongest capacities of mind and heart very well without um, an image or a vision that we can sort of wrap our brain around. And so it helps us then to have a cosmology. And then the cosmology, in other words, how we understand that the world works is then reflected in how we organize the things, the power objects on our altar. And the reason for this, again, is because without it, our mind is not engaged in the, in the way that makes it a powerful partner with what we're trying to do in the day. And instead, it's left to do its own thing, which the mind left to its own devices often ends up in judgment and criticism and doubt and all that kind of sort of vacant thinking that tends to undermine what it is that we're doing intentionally. But if we give the mind something interesting to latch on to, like our growing sense 
of our cosmology, our ability to visualize it with greater and greater detail. And I'm not just making things up because if you have, for example, a tanka, you know, uh, in your room from Tibet or Nepal or wherever you got it, you, you, you have an image of a culture that sees their cosmology in great, excruciatingly beautiful detail. So I'm not just blowing smoke here, but you don't need to see that detail in your cosmology to have a working altar. Yours can be really simple. Like I talked about last week, it can be the four directions, the four cardinal directions above, below, and the center. That can be enough to begin with, and then the detail will come. But anyway, so that's what I mean, that our mind needs to be able to see the shape. And it works best if that shape is actually a sacred geometry and that that sacred geometry that the mind is seeing is reflected in um, micro realities like the atoms of our body and uh, macro realities like the actual shape of energies in the world bigger than just a human. And that, that's, that creates an image that the mind is being reinforced by all these different levels of reality to be able to hold on to. And to resonate with and to allow it to expand and contract. And it's easy. Um, it's easy for the mind to be in sacred geometry because there is a feeling of rightness. We are physical beings. And the sacred geometry is about the sort of the rightness in physical space. Not in terms of good or bad right, but in terms of what suits this manifestation of physical form that we experience here on earth. I mean, I'm sure the sacred geometry in, on other places is different, but, but it is what it is here, and this is where we are. So this is what we need to talk about. So we want the mind engaged in its, its really powerful task with us, which is to be able to add the power of vision and intention to what we're doing so it's enhancing our efforts to live in the world in a good way, not destabilizing it by going, oh, that's stupid. Why are you thinking that? And all the doubtful things that it does. Why are you bothering to sit at the altar? This isn't real. You're making this up. You're not really talking to spirit. I mean, that's what the mind does if you don't give it a job that is a helpful job. (laughs) Thus, the reason for the cosmology. So this is what is important then about your work with altars and shrines is that it's going to ground your spiritual experience and engage you mentally physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's going to ground your relationship with spirit, which is largely occurs in people's minds and their imagination, unless you can draw it into the felt sense of the body through the simplicity and clarity and repetition of your altar practice, which is ceremony. To repeat the same practice again and again and again is ceremonial. And that is the profound power of ceremony. So, this is the, the kind of most basic level then of working with altars and shrines. So what's the difference between a shrine and an altar? Well, in a way, there's really no difference. I mean, in, our, in the English language, at least in America, shrine is often used to mean a monument, you know, a shrine to something or a monument to something. And, you know, The English language in America certainly isn't used with any awareness towards shamanism. So 
it's one of the things that I try to present or did present in the encyclopedia, whether others embrace it or not remains to be seen, but a way to begin to understand these English words so that we can all be talking about the same thing. And so one way to think about a distinction between altars and shrines, just as a way to start using these two things functionally, is that shrines, in, in the way that I work shamanically, are a gateway to a particular energy. In other words, a shrine is an altar to one energy, like a water shrine, or the shrine to my initiatory helping spirit, or my shrine to my ancestors, that these are particular altars, in a sense, that are focused towards one energy. And in my world, that makes them a shrine. And that the altars then are um, altars that have many energies on them and express my whole, for example, my working altar in my shamanic healing room expresses my whole cosmology, what I am working with personally in terms of my own helping spirits, my own projects in life, that which I want to manifest, as well as all of the helping spirits that populate the system of shamanism that I teach, the cosmology of shamanism that I teach, and then beyond that, my ancestors holding that. So there's lots of energies on my working altar, and that that altar is then tied in with my ancestral shrine. And so there, well, in my house, there's lots of altars and shrines, but you don't need all of that. But the point is, one way you could distinguish between altars and shrines is simply to think about is this a gateway to a single energy or is this a gateway to my whole cosmology or my, my whole life? And I'm not making a distinction here about what energy this is to. It's just the energies that I'm currently working with. So my way of understanding is not just me you know, making it up. But when I was working with Maladoma Somme, the, the Dogra people have um, shrines, big shrines. And the shrines are physical places in nature or, well, in homes too, but they are living pretty much in nature. So the village, for example, would have shrines um, being tended by a particular shrine tender, who's the person's job it is to tend that shrine, to make the correct offerings, to do it in the right time, to do it in the right way, and to be the go-between for people that need to connect with that spirit. And these were primarily the main helping spirits of their cosmology. In some, some people would call them gods and goddesses, for lack of a better word, but my sense of working with Maladoma is that the energies they were working with were very, very much of the natural world. And I would, it would be a stretch for me to start talking to them as gods and goddesses because they seem to me to be still very much of the natural world. But the point is, each place was dedicated to one energy one being, one um, spirit energy. And then that shrine was tended by a person whose job it was on behalf of the entire community to tend that shrine well. So if that shrine tender um, neglected their duties for one reason or another, then the whole community's relationship to that energy um, can be, isn't necessarily in jeopardy, but it can be, begin to flow out of balance. Because whether we, we as humans anywhere on the world acknowledge or not that we are in relationship with these energies, we are. 
We are always drawing on these energies. Whenever we are frustrated, whenever we ask for help, whenever we are um, challenged in our life, in our day, I'm tired, I don't want to work this last three hours, whatever it is, simple, mundane, ordinary life things, I'm hungry, I need to eat, whatever it is, we draw on spirit energy all the time, even and, and most profoundly in urban environments where there is very little nature to balance out the concentration of human beings and their needs. We are always drawing on spirit energy. And the beauty of these shrines, as I understood it working with Maladoma, is it was the place at which there was a gateway to that energy we were calling on all the time that we could give back and that the shrine tender was there to speak with that energy to find out how do we stay in balance with that energy so that it would flow. And this is what I really began to see with um, working with Maladoma is that all of these energies were flowing. But through our actions, we could block the throw, flow or we could drain the flow. And that part of the value of these community shrines to acknowledge the energies that are in our cosmology that we are working with is that, it, it, that the shrine tender's job was to sort of keep the people in right relationship with the energy so that the energy would be able to flow into the lives of the people and be beneficial. And so um, the, the reason then to create a shrine versus an altar is that there is an energy that you want to be very clear that you are staying in right relationship with and you want to focus on that energy. So, for example, for me, before I really understood anything about shamanism, I began to create an altar and work with an altar. Once I began to understand about shamanism, that altar started changing in its shape and in its function and developed and developed and developed. And then eventually it struck me one day, I actually needed someone else to tell me this, which is somewhat embarrassing, but nonetheless, that my primary initiatory helping spirit needed her own shrine. Well, once that information became, came out, it was a really big duh, but, and I was a little embarrassed that I hadn't figured it out myself, but that, that would be a reason then that you would create a shrine to a particular energy because there is a an helping spirit or something some energy that is really important in your life that you want to begin to develop a very important relationship and make sure that particular relationship stays in, in balance, in, in good flowing energy. So for the everyday ordinary American person, well actually any person, not just American, any person on the planet, we all have ancestors. None of us got here without ancestors. I don't really care about all your theories about walking in and this and that and the other thing. The bottom line is we all got here through the dream of the ancestors at the very least, if not the blood and the DNA. So we got here through ancestors. And there is, that is a very, very important relationship to maintain good relationship with. So an ancestral shrine then becomes a very, very good idea for anybody, anywhere on the planet right now. Now, some of you listening from um, countries other than America will go, well, duh, I have an ancestral altar because we always have had an ancestral altar because my people never stopped doing that. And thank you because your practices help us then think about how do I need to do that as I recover the practice of the living being in good relationship with our ancestors. And why do we need to do that? Because if we are not in good relationship with our ancestors, 
it is a total crapshoot whether we will be able to do what is right by the descendants, by those who are coming. That it is part of a great big dreaming process. And if we are not aligned with our ancestors, we are very likely remaking the same mistakes that they did, not healing, not progressing, and not moving forward in a way that is truly bringing what the descendants need into manifestation so that it is here for them when they arrive versus handing down to them a planet in dire distress, humanity on the verge of utter collapse and going, here, you guys fix it. You know, yeah, we broke it, but, you know, whatever. You get my point. So if you care about the descendants, if you care about the earth and the environment and the future and this, one of the most powerful things that you could do, even if you don't really want to do much else shamanically, is to create an ancestral shrine and to begin to work with it and begin to open up to your relationship with your ancestral helping spirits. Now, there's a whole lot more to that than my description earlier about just starting to work with an altar because the ancestors are a very big energy but that's my point about shrines is we want to take what we understand from working with altars and begin to focus and refine that work to create shrines to work with even more powerful and thus helpful and effective um, direct relationships with spirit so this is my point then about shrines so if you have no altar practice and you are really at the beginning of all of these ideas that I'm talking about this week and last week, then it really doesn't really matter whether you create an altar or a shrine first. You're at the beginning. Um, but if you did want to start, I would suggest that you start, as I described earlier in this show, with just a personal altar. Just to begin to sort out your relationship, what feels right for you in your body, with life, with the world, with reality, and to begin to sort that out. Um, for example, for me, it, when I was beginning this, my own little personal altar, I didn't really know very much about shamanism yet. Um, while I had read things that said you called in the four directions and the father sky and the mother earth and the center, at that time in my own personal work, I had issues, I had unresolved issues with my mother and my father. And so the idea of a mother earth and a father sky just created dissonance in my relationship with the above and below energies. And so instead of doing what I was told to do by a tradition, I said, no, I need to make this altar real for me. And what is real for me right now is just the word mother and the word father sends me on the ceiling. So I'm not using it. I'm not doing it. I'm just going to stick with the energies that I can call in with integrity to myself. And so I worked with just the four directions and the center for a long time. And it was very valuable. And to overstep your reality because some tradition tells you to do something that you don't feel is... Um, authentic to you and i don't mean authentic i mean obviously another tradition isn't going to feel authentic to you because it's another tradition i don't mean foreign i mean internal dissonance to pretend that i am loving this when right now i am enraged would be false so don't do it spirit doesn't really care about right as in right and wrong 
Spirit is looking for you to be consistent, to show up day after day, and to be authentic, to mean what you are doing, even if what you are doing is humble and um, uncertain. That if you simply stand up there and do it day in and day out, it will begin to work for you. And it will work sooner and better for you than taking, importing something that doesn't feel right to you. It doesn't fit. It's like wearing clothes that aren't tailored properly. And it's just irritating. But you're doing it because that's what you got told. That's how they used to do it. And somehow those traditions are better than what you might do. And what you always need to remember is there was always a first shaman. There was always a first person who began that very complex and beautiful tradition that doesn't really fit quite right for you. That very complex and beautiful tradition began with someone starting with a very simple altar that had only one thing on it and began to develop into that beautiful, complex, and rich tradition. So you can begin again. And I strongly encourage people to use your altars and shrines as places of work and really move yourself towards feeling a felt sense of things, an experiential sense of things, and to trust the repetition of something simple and true for you. And to leave out the parts that feel false or... um, This is a fine line because there's always a fake it till you make it aspect in all of this. That is true. But what I am trying to talk about is where where we, as contemporary Americans, tend to abandon ourselves because we believe some other culture knows something better than we do. And that what is important for us to take from these other cultures that do know lots of things better than we do, um, to learn from them how to do something, not the way to do something. What questions do we ask? And it is most important for you to not abandon yourself, not abandon what is authentic and has integrity within you to quote unquote do it the right way, but to constantly test your limits and to keep moving and growing and progressing in that process, but to stick with what you can feel, what you can have a felt sense of alignment and integrity with and build from there. You will need to keep building and eventually will have a rich and authentic tradition. But I encourage you to not abandon yourself in the process of trying to get it right. Um, You'll learn a lot from that, but it won't develop your altar practice very quickly. Your altar practice and thus your relationship with spirit will develop more quickly if you just stay with yourself and your own felt sense. Ask for something from spirit and do that and just keep letting your practice develop question by question, month by month. Okay, so what I was going to suggest then, if this was all brand new to you, is that you start with a personal altar to begin to sort out your relationship with life and the world and reality and your helping spirits and all of that kind of stuff and your religion because your religion will play into this. If you have one, Um, That is separate from your shamanism. And then after you have your little personal altar going or big personal altar, I would suggest that you then begin with a shrine that is either to your ancestors for reasons I already explained or to the earth, 
to begin to work with the earth element. And I could do a whole show on why I think people need to begin with an earth shrine. Now, the message to do this came through spirit a couple years ago as my community was shape-shifting from um, spiritual consumerism into how do we as a shamanic community live these teachings in a way um, that is integrity with the teachings. You know, how do we begin to live these teachings shamanically in the contemporary world? It's a big question. And because we asked that question, we were directed by spirit to create elemental shrines within our cosmology. And one of the things we were told along the way is that everybody who is willing in the community needed to open up an earth shrine in their personal life in addition to the community earth shrine because human beings are so profoundly out of balance with the earth. As I said earlier in the show, we are drawing on energy all the time and we rarely uh, do we give gratitude back to the earth um, in anywhere balancing what we're drawing out of the earth. And the earth is a very, very fundamental relationship because not only is it our home and our place of interconnectedness, not just day to day with the energies around us, but with the dream that is dreaming life forward. But the earth is very much like our body. We need to not only be grounded and present on the earth, but we need to be grounded and present in our body. We've chosen to be here in physical form, in this realm, this earth realm of physical manifestation, and to begin to honor that relationship and ask the earth how to do that in a good way. There is no energy here that holds greater wisdom and mastery around being in form, being here in physical form, Whatever that means, because we know it's all energy anyway. But what does it mean to have taken this form and be here in this great, grand illusion of living on earth? What does that mean? No energy understands that more beautifully and completely and with greater detail understanding how to do that sustainably and how to do that with much, much, much constant diversity. And all of that diversity working together in ecosystem, nothing understands that better than the earth. So if you want to understand how to be in your humble human form in a good way with all living things, stop asking the sky. The sky doesn't have a clue. Ask the earth. The earth is our guide in that. And to open up an earth shrine in your life. To understand how do I be here in a good way to give gratitude to the earth for the beauty of your life, the wonder of your day, to give thanks for the bounty, the safety of your home, even if your home is a tiny studio apartment, 27 floors up, you are here drawing energy from the earth and the earth is your home. I have students that have earth shrines in Central Park or on the bike trail that they ride on the way to work in the morning that I have students that have earth shrines that are not physically on their property and it doesn't matter it is still their place and they're beautiful stories about how they put certain objects at the earth shrine and then other people started bringing objects and the earth shrine started growing then things started getting taken and then other things started coming back and that the earth shrine became a place of community without anyone trying Earth shrines are the center that allows people to gather. 
and an earth shrine in your own life becomes the center around which you can gather, around which your soul parts can gather, around which your helping spirits can gather, and ultimately around which your family can gather. And so there's, there, I, can't, I can't say enough about what could come through an earth shrine, which can be as humble as the base of a tree in your backyard. It can be as humble as a pot on your veranda because you're in that studio apartment that's 27 floors up. It can be an earth shrine that travels with you. Um, I laughed uh, when I saw my nephew's car because he was in a time in life where he and I had talked about an earth shrine, which of course being 15 he, or 16 actually because he had a car, he completely you know, blew me off. But in the dashboard, in this area of the plastic form of the dashboard of his car, there was this little arena that he had filled with sand and made himself a little sand garden, you know, a little Zen garden in his car. And he had little objects on it. And as he is drive, the vibration would move them around. And he started actually doing divinations based on how the little items would move around in his sand tray. That was really, frankly, an earth shrine at this time in his life when he was greatly troubled. And so here he was reinventing shamanism, telling me I was completely crazy and didn't want to hear anything I had to say. And yet reinventing shamanism right there on the dashboard of his car and doing divinations based on how little things were moving. This is, this is the way we do it. This is the way humans have always done it. And the, the point, the beauty of the sand tray on the dashboard is – you really can do this anywhere, anytime. So altars or shrines then can be indoors, they can be outdoors, they can be permanent, they can be impermanent, they can be portable, or they can be you know, physically a part of nature and so thus not terribly portable. The most important thing about any altar or shrine is that it works that it allows you to better communicate with the sacred in your life and allows you to begin to have a felt sense of the presence of spirit or the presence of the sacred, however you want to think about that, that presence of that energy in your life, in your body, from a, a not just an idea, but an actual felt sense of that. So um, I've talked a lot about why you would create a shrine and I was thinking for a while while I was thinking about this show that you wouldn't really need to create a shrine if you didn't have a shamanic practice or some kind of spiritual practice. But as you can see, my thoughts really evolved around that. There's a whole lot of reason an everyday ordinary person could want to have a shrine to their ancestors, to the earth, maybe to some particular energy that is very important um, in your life. A parent might want to have a shrine to the energies that they believe are protecting their children. And to tend that shrine every day so that the protection of their children is charged. And of course, the very center of that shrine would be their love for their children. Because a parent's love for their children is greatest protection. Um, but at the same time, each of those children has a body protector. And there's nothing wrong with mom telling that body protector to watch over their child each day as they go, or dad. So, so there's many reasons that we could want to have both altars and shrines. Um, as I said, I, I have both. Some are indoors, some are outdoors. Um, I also have one that's not out because it's in a little tiny bag 
and it's packed and ready to go. So whenever I travel, all I have to do is grab the little bag, and then wherever I am, I have the fundamental elements of my cosmology, which are usually illegal in the hotel room, but I have them anyway. Um, and know that I can just grab that little bag and it goes with me. And so there are many, many, many creative ways that you can do this. So the important message that I have about shrines um, really came when my student community started opening these elemental shrines within our cosmology. So again, like what I had experienced with Maladoma, where you had this whole village and you had the shrines to the important energies of their cosmology and the shrine tenders. In my community, which is um, non-local, so the people are spread out actually all over the globe, but primarily in North America, um, we ask for people to step up to become elemental shrine tenders and to open up an elemental shrine where they could tend it daily on behalf of the community. Now, of course, the first four people who stood up to do that had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. Um, And in some ways, I didn't either. I had the visions and the experience of having open shrines while working with Maladoma in that cosmology, but that's not the cosmology that I practice. And so, and those all involved um, animal sacrifice to open, and I don't use that in my practice. So, we then went forward, the four of us, because we had earth, um, earth, air, fire, and water shrine tenders who were wanting to open up the first elemental shrines for the community. And so, we worked with spirit to understand how to do that, and each person worked individually with the spirit of each of the elements to ask how they could best do that where they were and given their life. And this has evolved over the several years now that we've been doing this and shrine tenders have changed. The first earth shrine tender has moved on and is now the fire shrine tender. We have a new earth shrine tender and some people have moved away from shrine tending. Others are moving within the circle to learn more about the elements doing that. And what's happening is through the shrine tenders, then we can get a sense of um, a diagnosis, a diagnosis on how the community is doing in relationship with the elements. And then based on that, um, we can take action as a community to come into better balance with ourselves or better balance with the elements. So an example would be one of the first things that we learned is that our community, like most Western communities, was in an excess of air. We are way too much up in our heads. And as a community, we're tending towards something I've spoken about repeatedly on this show, which is when your shamanism is based purely on journeying, be they um, plant medicine induced or drum journeys or whatever it is where you're basically just journeying that it's very easy to keep your whole shamanic practice up in your head and um, I think it was Will Tegel and I talked about this a little bit I can't exactly remember but the point is that our shamanism does not really begin to affect anything until we embody it within ourselves and it begins to change how we act in the world and it affects the decisions that we are making in the world. And so what we found working with these elemental shrines is that we had excess air in the community, that, we, that our, our shamanic work was too much up in our heads 
and too much in the spirit world and that there was not enough effort being made in the community to integrate the teachings into our bodies and into our lives and into our hearts which was exactly the reason we were doing all this in the first place i have to say that wasn't in a way new news but seeing it presented to us elementally was helpful for people to understand instead of personally thinking I'm failing because I'm not doing the practices. I'm not living the teachings. Instead of making it this sort of personal failure, people were able to say, oh, wow, communally, we're out of balance in the air like all the rest of the Western culture. So let's learn to work with the earth, which for most people was the prescription. And that's how we got this prescription for the whole community to create the earth shrines was to be able to help the community come into balance with all of these great ideas, but no rubber was meeting the road. And so that's how we got to these elemental earth shrines. And so while I am deeply grateful uh, to Maladoma Somme for, for what I learned about shrines in that tradition, um, there is a different kind of richness in now understanding how to bring shrines and the tending of shrines and what does that mean for a community into my student community based on our cosmology and how do we open the shrines um now at every workshop um a a group of people open an earth shrine at the retreat center where we are having the workshop and that earth shrine is open that's where we leave the spirit plate at every meal and the more we do that so we open and then we close it when we leave and the more we do that in the same place over and over again the spirits of the land recognize us more quickly more fully and we begin to develop as a community we begin to develop um, ever more powerful relationships with the retreat places that we tend to use and so then the retreats go better the weather is better you know everything begins to smooth out because our relationship with spirit is um fuller richer more uh i don't know bigger fatter it's got more dynamic to it because we're using these ancient traditions the tradition of having a shrine um but using it through our authentic cosmology and through the teachings, we're actually all gathered there at the retreat to learn. So there's a, it's consistent. And then in the very center of the altar of the workshop is the altar, which has many energies on it, which is the place that we call in the teachers that we need for what we're learning that day. It's the place where um, the, where the cosmology gets called in to shape our day, and so that we can co-create with those spirits. But it's also the place that individual people call in, this is the help I need today because I'm feeling this way. Or I don't know what help I need today, but I went on a walk and I found this and that made me think of this spirit. So I'm calling this spirit in today. And so the altar then has um, you know, anything from personal power objects to found things that day to poems to uh, pictures to tarot cards or whatever that that are way, are the power objects or the ways that people are bringing what they need each day and calling that energy into the group altar that we're using for the workshop and then of course it all gets dismantled at the end natural things go back to nature people often gift give at that point in time because some power object that's been important to them now needs to go home with someone else because of whatever teaching they received that week and so it it becomes a part of how we as a community work with spirit 
through our community altars and our community shrines. Um, now, the thing that was most profound for me, I see I'm running out of time, so I'll get to this, is that when the community finally opened the ancestral altars, so the, I mean, sorry, the elemental altars, so the shrines, sorry. Okay, when the community opened the elemental shrines, so they got built and then physically created in, in the four people's lives, and then they had to be opened spiritually and then tended, began to be tended. So once that had happened, and it all happened very uh, sequentially, but all within a very small period of time, like they each got opened in, I think, a four-hour period sequentially, and, and the energy flowed from all the shrines, and then the four were open. And then the wheel, for us, which is a four-element system, the wheel was complete. For me, as the person who was trying to carry these teachings. And I say trying because at that point in time in my life, I wasn't succeeding. I could get the teachings out at the workshops, but there were 150 students and it had become an enormous burden to have to produce the workshops, to go do the teachings, to follow up with everybody's transformative processes, and to be carrying what felt to me like an inappropriate load. And I couldn't understand why. I mean, I look at all these other people out there teaching and they're doing just fine. And I was, um, felt really burdened by something and I didn't know what it was. And then the shrines opened and all of a sudden it was as if someone lifted this impossible weight off my shoulders. And I came to understand that it wasn't my job to carry the elemental relationships for the community, that it's the community's job. So if I go back to Maladoma and the Dagra, the, you know, the shaman of the village didn't tend all the shrines. The shaman of the village was just a shaman. There are many shamans in the village, but the shrines were tended by someone whose calling it was to tend the shrines. And that it was, it was a community activity that carried that relationship for the community. And this is how we, I, as the, as the teacher and as the shaman of the community, but we as a community are really growing to understand what does it mean to be a shamanic community and to do these different functions within our cosmology because we have our own unique cosmology as part of these teachings. And the opening of those el- elemental shrines was a huge awakening for me to be able to understand the larger ramifications of shamanism, a shamanic way of life, and why your cosmology matters so much. And so through the opening of the elemental shrines, my community and I were able to finally begin to come into right relationship. And I didn't feel the burden anymore. I didn't feel put upon. I didn't feel the feelings I was feeling, which were not personal. These were not things people were doing to me, but it was this other energy of really understanding what is a shaman's relationship with a shamanic community. And this is the, is the great gift that my community and I are learning now as we go forward to keep asking this question and developing this answer. So I want to thank you all for listening uh, with me here this week as we've talked about shrines and community and 
altars and shrines. And um, I want to thank the ancestors for gathering round. Thank the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we're going to talk about picking up your medicine and what that really means and how you might approach that if you're just beginning or have been at this for decades. So thank you all for donating to the show, for keeping us live and on the air. And I hope you all open an altar or a shrine and have a great week.